As we watch our world, even as we read our Bibles, sometimes it can feel like things are very dark. But in Daniel chapter 7, we are going to see a vision of the Son of Man. Before Jesus ever walked the earth, before he was ever born in Bethlehem, he is presented in the book of Daniel as the glorious Son of Man, which is a divine title, a title of deity, a title for the Messiah. And even in a dark chapter and a book that sometimes is dark, we're going to see the brilliant light of the Messiah, the great Son of Man. This is the one in whom we have trusted. This is the one in whom we have believed. And his name is Jesus. And we'll learn more about that today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Well, the book of Daniel has been filled with some exciting things. Daniel chapter 1, we watch Daniel uh, make a stand and he will not... uh, compromise in terms of his diet and the king's delicacies. He didn't want to break the law of his God. In chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had that dream of the multi-metallic image, right? The head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and then the feet mixed with iron and clay. And he said, I want my wise men to not only interpret the dream, but to tell me what the dream was. They couldn't do it. Daniel had a prayer meeting. Daniel gave the dream and the interpretation. Daniel 7 has a direct connection to Daniel 2. We'll talk about that in a moment. In Daniel 3, we had the famous story of the fiery furnace, right? We had Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego take their stand against King Nebuchadnezzar. When the band plays, everybody's supposed to bow, but the three Hebrew youths say, oh no, we won't bow, right? And the king's furious, and he heats up the furnace, and we know the story. A fourth one, looking like the son of the gods, or the son of God, who's real shiny, entered into the fire, right? And The uh, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, had an experience with the living God and proclaimed something that sounds very much like he was a believer. And then in Daniel chapter 5, the writing was on the wall. And King Belshazzar was having a party and he used the holy vessels to drink wine to the gods of silver and gold and all of that, praising them. And the writing was on the wall. A disembodied hand said, you've been weighed in the scales and found found wanting. And King Belshazzar's knees knocked together and he was freaked out and he got an interpretation all right. You're going to die. Your kingdom is over. Kaput. Capiche? That's Italian. And then in Daniel chapter 6, what did we learn about last week? The famous story of the lion's den. No one can pray to any god except the king. He gets manipulated. Daniel takes a stand, opens the windows towards Jerusalem, prays three times a day, gets caught praying, goes into the lion's den, but the angel of the Lord shut the mouths of the lions and another king, his name being Darius or possibly Cyrus, The Persian proclaims praise to the God of Daniel. All these famous stories that we all love, maybe many of you heard these in Sunday school, and we move from Daniel 6 to Daniel 7, and many of you might be thinking, well, what's in Daniel 7, and what's Daniel 8, and what's in Daniel 9, and 10, and 11, and 12? Well, I'll tell you tonight, it is filled with prophecy. In fact, the rest of the book of Daniel is largely prophetic. 
What do you mean, Pastor Michael? Here's what I mean. The first part of the book of Daniel has a lot of practical life lessons. Faith and the fire, taking your stand, all of that. The last half of the book of Daniel is very prophetic. In fact, it's going to move us from the time of the Babylonian kingdom in the 500s B.C., all the way to the return of Jesus Christ yet in our future. And it's going to tie to the image in Daniel 2, uh, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, and to what Daniel is going to see in a vision in Daniel chapter 7. So if you're willing to take this journey through the rest of the book and learn maybe some of the content that you haven't studied before, I think you're going to see that the book of Daniel is to the Old Testament what the book of Revelation is to the New Testament. It's an exciting study. It's an exciting, uh, it's exciting content, but I'll tell you, it's a little bit more work. You're going to have to put your thinking cap on a little bit more in these stories. And some of it's a little bit scary because there's images and things about judgment and, and so forth that have uh, connections to the book of Revelation. But you want to know what the future holds, right? You want to understand prophecy. I hope you do because all of the Bible is inspired by God. It's all profitable. And my job is to give you the full counsel of God, not just to stop at Daniel 6 because we learned about the lion's den and we all like the lion's den, right? But we need to study all of the Bible and we need to understand the scriptures. And so we're going to move into maybe some new sledding for some of you, but I think it's going to be very insightful and profound. It says in Daniel 7:1, notice if you'd follow along, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. Then he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. Now notice there is a time marker. Uh, the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, is the time marker when Daniel saw the dream. We do know that the events of chapters 5 and 6 uh, have already, uh, excuse me, let me read my notes here. Uh, in chapter 5, we studied a bit of history on Belshazzar. He became co-regent with his father in 553 B.C. This happened before the events of chapters 5 and 6 because we know Belshazzar sees the writing on the wall in chapter 5, the lion's den in chapter 6. So we have the first year of the reign of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Daniel has this dream, this vision. Daniel said, as he describes the summary, I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven, heaven seems to be the source here, or God, were stirring up the great sea. And four beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. Now, as Daniel looked in his vision, he saw these four winds stirring up the sea. They may be the Mediterranean Sea or just the sea representing humanity, which we do see in the book of Revelation. Heaven was behind the rise of these beasts. That seems to be the connection here. Heaven stirs up the sea and the beasts begin to rise from the sea. Just a reminder that one of the major themes of the book of Daniel is the dominion of the everlasting God, that God is sovereign, that he rules, that he reigns, that he's ultimately responsible for the world that he made. And so notice in verse 3, the stirring up of the sea and then four great beasts were coming up from the sea and they were different from one another. Daniel is going to ask about these beasts. If you look at verse 17, skip down for a second. These great beasts, which are four in number, he gets an answer, are four kings who will arise from the earth. 
So oftentimes when we're studying a passage and we wonder, well, what's the interpretation? When you keep reading, oftentimes you'll get the interpretation. So Daniel is going to ask. The first was like a lion. The first of the beasts was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. Notice, Bible students, you have the word like, so this is a simile. This, he was like a lion, not exactly like one, but like a lion. Now, there's going to be a parallel between the dream of Daniel chapter 2 and the beast of Daniel chapter 7. And here's simply how it works. As you move from the head of the statue down to the feet, you will see the beast of Daniel 7 mirror the uh, following the statue from the head down. So as the head of gold was Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, so the first uh, beast here, the lion with the wings of an eagle, as I kept looking until its wings were plucked and was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, a human mind was also given to it. The lion is a symbol of Babylon. In much of ancient literature, Babylon's symbol is a lion with eagle's wings. The Ishtar Gate, for example, gave access to the city's processional street whose walls were lined with enameled lions. And so the key figure or the picture of Babylon is a lion here with wings of an eagle. Notice as we move down paralleling the statue, I kept looking until its wings were plucked. If the lion represents Babylon and namely Nebuchadnezzar, what happened to Nebuchadnezzar that might describe the plucking of wings? Well, he got proud and he was out on his balcony and God judged him. And he had those seven seasons when he went mad and he was eating grass and so forth. And then at the end of those seven seasons, his mind was restored to him. He was brought back to his, uh, his right mind and to his position. Notice, he was lifted up from the ground, middle of four, after the plucking of the wings, made to stand on two feet like a man, restored, if you will, and a human mind also was given to it. And so many Bible scholars would say that it's clear that the first uh, symbol is Babylon and it's the restoration, the fall and restoration of King Nebuchadnezzar. Behold, another beast, verse 5, a second one resembling a bear. It, as Daniel sees the vision on his bed, was raised up on one side and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth. And thus they said to it, Arise, devour much meat. Now, we've all probably had some maybe pretty dramatic dreams and we've tried to piece together what things mean. And remember, I've given you a warning that most dreams probably don't mean anything. They probably have to do with what you were thinking about at the end of an evening or uh, if you ate a late night burrito with extra hot sauce or that kind of thing. But you know, God has from time to time used dreams. And uh, here we can see that Daniel's uh, being given one. And he was also able to interpret dreams. And the, the, the second beast that comes up out of the sea of humanity resembles a bear. We see what it has in its mouth. The bear is raised up on one side. It's a picture showing the Persian Empire soon to become dominant over the Medes. Remember, as we follow world history, the major world empires were Egypt, Assyria, Babylon. Now we're talking about the time of Belshazzar there. Then if you start fast forwarding down from Belshazzar, the nation that took over, that uh, caused the fall of Belshazzar on that fateful night when the writing was on the wall 
was the Medo-Persian Empire. The Persian army was outside the gate. And so the second kingdom in line with the dream. Hey, listening family, it's Pastor Michael. I want to tell you another exciting thing about walkintruth.com. It's the store that's there. There's some great products up there on some intriguing subjects available in CD and DVD format. When you purchase one of those products, you actually support the radio ministry and help us reach out to more people like you. It's walkintruth.com. Click on the store, check it out, get a product, and you'll be partnering with us in the gospel ministry. We appreciate you. We love you. God bless you. And we'll talk to you soon. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. We see what it has in its mouth. The bear is raised up on one side. It's a picture showing the Persian Empire soon to become dominant over the Medes. Remember, as we follow world history, the major world empires were Egypt, Assyria, Babylon. Now we're talking about the time of Belshazzar there. Then if you start fast forwarding down from Belshazzar, the nation that took over that Uh, caused the fall of Belshazzar on that fateful night when the writing was on the wall was the Medo-Persian Empire. The Persian army was outside the gate. And so the second kingdom, in line with the dream of chapter 2, here represented by the bear, is the Medo-Persian Empire. The three ribs of the bear has in its mouth likely pictures three major kingdoms conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire. Uh, Cyrus, the Persian king, his son, called Kamses, conquered the Lydian kingdom, if you're interested in taking notes, in 546 B.C., conquered Babylon in 539 B.C., and Egypt in 525 B.C. And so at the time that Daniel saw this, he may not have understood every aspect or angle of this, but looking back, we can see what happened. After this, Daniel says, I kept looking, and behold, another one, the third of the four beasts, was like, keyword, like a leopard. The leopard, no doubt, is a symbol of the Grecian Empire. After the time of Alexander the Great, the kingdom was uh, divided into four. So notice, which had on its back four wings of a bird. And notice the repetition of the numeric four. The beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. Now, Alexander the Great was an incredible military genius, a strategist. He died at the age of 33. Some people believe, as they look at history, that Alexander the Great died after an alcohol binge one night. There is another uh, aspect of the story that he was attempting to rebuild Babylon. And as he attempted to rebuild Babylon, he died um, in that pursuit. And so let me just read a little bit from one of the commentaries. Alexander the Great overthrew the Persian uh, kingdom and conquered all the kingdoms of the known world in just 12 years. He did this from 336 to 324 B.C. Alexander's kingdom stretched from the entire eastern Mediterranean world in the west. It extended as far as India in the east. According to Plutarch, when Alexander conquered Persia, it took 10,000 camels to carry away all the booty. In 324 B.C., the youthful conqueror of the world visited the tomb of Cyrus the Great at a place called Passer Gade. Alexander died a year later at the age of 33 trying to rebuild Babylon 
which God said through the prophet Jeremiah, if you're interested in the address, it's 51, 24 through 26, that Babylon would lay desolate and never be rebuilt. He prophesied that Babylon would be desolate forever. In the late 1980s, many of you will remember that Saddam Hussein, the then dictator of Iraq, tried to rebuild Babylon. He was working on the palace when Operation Desert Storm broke out. God raised up 500,000 troops, says this writer, from the nations of the world to stop this man's invasion of Kuwait. In the bombing raids that followed, the allies, uh, allies destroyed everything in Babylon that he had built, and its remains are desolate to this very day. You don't mess with the word of God. When uh, Alexander the Great died, he had no heir. He died at the age of 33. There's one story that after conquering the known world, he went to his bedroom and began to cry like a baby because there were no more nations to conquer. <laughs> My life's over. I can't kill people and dominate anymore. And so having no heir, his kingdom was split into, uh, by, uh, into four generals' rule. In Egypt, one named Ptolemy I ruled. In the eastern provinces, the general was Seleucus I. In Macedonia and Greece, Antipater and Cassander took power. And in Thrace and Asia Minor, one called Lysimachus became the general. It was split into four. And so isn't it interesting? This is why liberal scholars who look at the prophecies of the book of Daniel believe they have to argue that some other author under the name of Daniel wrote somewhere around 165 BC because nobody could have this information of coming kingdoms before they happened. Unless, of course, God was giving Daniel the information because God knows history in advance. He can't learn anything. He writes history in advance. It's called predictive prophecy. It's one of the reasons that you should be excited about your Bible. Because your Bible is the word of God. And so remember, there's four beasts. So Daniel says, after this, the third one is Greece. So we've been moving now the statue from Babylon, the head of gold, chest and arms of silver. We got the Medo-Persian Empire, belly and thighs of bronze. We have the Grecian Empire. And now we're going to move to the legs of iron. Notice after this, verse 7, I kept looking in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong. And it, it had large iron teeth. Now remember, the legs in Daniel 2 are of iron. And it, this last beast, no, it's, notice that it's not compared to any known animal. We had a lion, we had a, we had a tiger, and we had a bear. Oh my. No, it wasn't that. It was, a, it was a lion, a bear, and a leopard, right? I just was stuck on the Wizard of Oz. I thought you guys might appreciate that. But anyway... But this fourth beast is not compared to an animal, but it is a fourth beast, dreadful, terrifying, and extremely strong. It had large iron teeth. Think of Daniel 2 and the legs of iron. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. We know the legs of iron in Daniel 2 is Rome. And it was different from all the beasts or the empires that were before it. And notice, here's a key. It had 10 horns. It was not comparable to any known animal. It has this distinct 10 horns. Now, some people think the 10 horns compares to the 10 toes of the feet of iron mixed with clay in Daniel chapter 2. 
I'll leave that up to you to, to think about whether there's a connection there, but many do see the connection. And the legs of iron, all agree, is Rome, because you move from Babylon, the head, to the Medo-Persian Empire, chest and arms of silver, uh, to the belly and thighs of bronze, which was Greece, and then the dominant world empire from 63 BC to 476 AD was Rome. The Roman army swept across the known world and dominated the known world. And the only reason that Rome crumbled, they say, was from within. And they believe, scholars believe and historians believe, because of the mixture of different people groups within the Roman Empire, uh, iron mixed with clay, if you will, but also because of the corruption of government and immorality and so forth. And far, finally, the barbarians attacked Rome. And I'm giving you history now so you can know the Bible obviously aligns with history or vice versa. <coughs> in 476 BC, the barbarians came in and took Rome and Rome was dissolved. From 476 BC to the modern day, there has not been a dominant world empire. Just think about it. There hasn't been one. Now, we could say that there's been some empires that have been close. There's been some empires that have tried to dominate the world. In fact, in our recent past, Nazi Germany was on a track, so they thought, of world domination under Adolf Hitler and his madness and all that went on there and him trying to exterminate all inferior so-called races. And he did his damage, but he was stopped once again by allied forces, by the grace of God. Amen? And so here we are. We're, we're kind of tracking through history. And Daniel, from sometime in the mid-500s B.C., is seeing all the way to the time of Jesus Christ. Now, think about it. Jesus Christ was born, lived, and died in the dominant time of what, which empire? Rome. We know that the Caesars were living at that time. We know that Rome was the dominant empire. For those of you who are prophecy students, the down payment of the kingdom of God, the rock cut without hands that would destroy the statue and blow it to smithereens and so forth, was made in the first advent of Jesus Christ, his first coming. He lived during the reign of the Roman emperors, if you will, during the sweeping uh, uh, dominance of Rome. And he died on a cross, and his kingdom will have no end. As you think about this last beast empire, many of you are familiar with the fact that many prophecy experts believe that the last world empire will be a revived Roman empire. And of course, in years past, some believe that it was attached to the Roman Catholic Church. Many are moving away from that view now. I don't hold that view but I think what you need to understand as a student of Scripture is that oftentimes what happens is that kingdoms of ages past become composite uh, pictures of kingdoms yet future. So they may carry some aspects that you can project to the future of a final world empire. And you all know that there is going to be a final world empire, and it's going to be ruled by one who is called the beast. He's the final beast. And we're going to see a connection between Daniel 7 and Revelation 12, 13, and 17 in a moment. Let me just go back to Rome for a second so that we can talk a little bit about Rome. The Roman army swept across the ancient world, defeated one nation after another until the empire extended from the Atlantic Ocean east to the Caspian Sea 
from North Africa to the Rhine to the Danube rivers. Egypt, Palestine, Syria were all under Roman domination. Jesus came in the time that Rome was ruling and he died and he rose from the dead in that very history in which uh, that time was embedded. The Roman Empire was the dominant force. We know uh, Nero persecuted Peter and Paul. We know that there's a lot of connections to the Roman Empire and that history because that's the time when Jesus came. And so notice that there, when we looked at the ten horns, we're told later they are ten kings. Now, we believe that what that tells us is that there's a future kingdom coming, and we'll see this in the book of Revelation, that is not directly connected to Rome. It may have some composite connection, but it's not Rome. There's some future empire coming that will uh, have this connection to these 10 kings because there were over 60 kings that ruled in the Roman Empire. So it's not the Roman Empire of old that we're talking about. This world-dominating empire that's revealed in Daniel 7 will make war with the saints and defeat them. Hey, listening family, it's Pastor Michael. I want to tell you another exciting thing about walkintruth.com. It's the store that's there. There's some great products up there on some intriguing subjects available in CD and DVD format. When you purchase one of those products, you actually support the radio ministry and help us reach out to more people like you. It's walkintruth.com. Click on the store, check it out, get a product, and you'll be partnering with us in the gospel ministry. We appreciate you. We love you. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.